What's up, nerds? And welcome back to your weekly movie review podcast. That's right, you're tuned into the flagship 3FN podcast. And as always, we are coming to you from the 8122 Production Studios at Dragon Master Games. This week, we will be reviewing the holiday classic, Die Hard. But before we can get any further, I am your host, Rich. And once again, we are down and nerd, unfortunately. But we still have one here to join me. That, of course, is the man who is running out of time on his vacation. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Ron. What's happening, people? It's almost like that movie... Out of time, it is. I mean, I mean, it's coming down. I'm like, it's I'm, coming down to the wire. I, I realize I have to re- get into a uh, sleeping, uh, a sl- sleeping in a better yes now because. <laughs> and next week we're both off, so we're yeah. gonna be we're gonna be working, working on working. podcast stuff. So uh, that's gonna be always good, and on top of other things I have to work on. But yeah, yeah. So nice times. Of course, we are coming into the holidays coming up. So happy holidays uh, to all of you because this is uh, Christmas week, Hanukkah week, also Kwanzaa week. Kwanzaa. Everything's going down right now. So whatever you choose to celebrate, uh, hopefully you have a great time with you yours. You know, and uh, we always wish you everybody the best. But before we can go any further, Ron, how's been your past week, which was not a holiday week? It was not a holiday week, but I made it through pretty good. Our Wednesday group met. We are probably one, maybe two sessions to the end of this last campaign. Um, it's It's been all right. It's been interesting. Uh, you know, my overpowered um, ranger, you know, pretty much just doing, you know, minimum 36 points of damage whenever it hits is kind of retarded so <laughs> we'll see how it works out for the boss by battle if this actually is a way to do it um like i said we're almost there we got like i said one maybe two sessions left and then we're supposed to jump into spell jammers which i've never done a spell jammer campaign so we'll see how that goes um other than that you know over the weekend i went to my sisters and did some gingerbread house building you know well I assisted in helping an assistant of a house building because I wasn't doing it, but the individual was having, she was having a hard time. So I had to give a helping hand, but you know, other than that, you know, it's been one of those weeks, just mellow. That is you, the helper, Ron. Yeah. You're always helping. I did get a surprise Christmas present from Rody Josh. Oh, that's very nice. He showed up. He showed it up while I was at dinner on uh, Saturday and I came home and there it was. Buikasha. Buikasha. There you go. That's what happens when he has a key. He can, yeah. in, he can sneak in whenever he wants. Then and leave you treats. That's <laughs> leave, good when he's leaving you treats. Yeah, I like it. It's nice. It's bad if he leaves you a dead hooker. <laughs> That's my own doing. Never mind. No, oh, hi oh, uh, little shot, little shot, on shot the nose. Fired. Shots no, fired. Shot okay. Fired. No, uh, moving on. Uh, it's gotten uncomfortable in the <laughs> studio. <laughs> my joke. My joke. And uh, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. But anyways, my week is great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can promise you, no dead hookers at my house. <laughs> no, no dead uh, hookers at my house. I mean, if there was a hooker at my house, they would probably be dead because my wife would kill them. Oh yeah, she would. But uh, you know, no, it was good times. Uh, Basically, kind of hung out, got some shit done ahead of the holiday season. You know, got gifts wrapped, got some things picked up, had a snowstorm. We did. Which uh, kind of sucked for my working, but, you know, outside of that, it's pretty good times. But overall, I cannot complain. Gearing up for the holiday weekend coming up and gearing up for everything else we have going on. So I'm kind of excited right now. It's, it's good times. Yeah, definitely. Uh, before we go, 
and do more of the show. We have a couple show notes for everybody. Obviously, with Diesel not being here, we are not doing Diesel's movie triple stuff. All you need to know is that Avatar is number one in the box office with about $155 million in the domestic box office and everything else. The next two spots were like $5 million before it just trickled down from there. So congratulations to Avatar. Uh, secondly, of course, we are not, you know, this is, we do mostly new movies here on this podcast, but none of us really wanted to cover Avatar. I get it. Maybe not smart business move by some people because the biggest movie and you're mm. not covering it. But you know what? Why would I trash on something that somebody might also love? Like, and I'm not going to give it a chance. So it's sometimes right. it's better left alone. So instead we decided to go with a holiday classic of Die Hard because, hey, when we don't have a new movie we're doing, we have no problem going to the past. We're doing Die Hard, and uh, as we do Die Hard, I just want to let everybody know when we get to the review section, you're you're already warned. There will be spoilers. We're not, you know, we're going to do the stats and all that stuff. But when we get into the review, there's not going to be a break. There's not going to be a spoiler alert. That movie came out, you know, in 1988. I yeah. think I think spoilers are are, are just it's unspoken. <laughs> so th- that's my you've forewarning. Seen, you've seen Die Hard. Yeah, it's it's that's my forewarning. Just so everybody knows that. Uh, so if you've never seen Die Hard, you know maybe just listen to the first part and then dip out. <laughs> but if not, you've been warned here. But before we can get to the review and the three FN Movie Club review at that, we got to take care of just a little bit of business and some shameless plugs, of course. If you would like to get a hold of the 3FN podcast, learn about our social media links and everything else, it's easy. It's a one-stop shop. 3FNpodcast.com. There, you're going to find all the social media links. You're going to find the link to Patreon. Patreon.com slash 3FN podcast, where for as little as $1 a month, you get a ton of extra bonus content help support the show. Also, you're going to find the Public link, where you can go and buy show swag, help support the show, and we love to see that nerdware in the wild. Also, while you're there, check out Friends of the show like the odph podcast check those guys out because they're awesome they're our 607 podcast brothers and we always love supporting them on top of that you will notice sections for the 3fn podcast for 607 tws and so much more then there's the music directory those great bands who provide us with music so we don't get hit with those dmcas and uh shout out to shout at the robots who does the theme song of the flagship 3fn podcast that you hear here each and every week Check them out on YouTube, Bandcamp, and Spotify. And last but certainly not least, there's the local sponsors who bring help us bring you this show each and every week. Commercial free, but we're going to give a quick shout out since they do that. First, to the people who provide us with the studio. That, of course, is Dragon Master Games, located at 1235 Upper Front Street in Binghamton, New York. For all your Magic the Gathering gaming needs, visit them on the World Wide Web dragonmastergames.com and if you're in the 607 or passing through the 607 make sure you like their facebook page to find out about what events are going on at the shop next up we have our good friends over at rex to rods auto detailing if you're in the 607 and you want to put the pride back into your rod give them a call at 607-644-3389 and tell them the 3fn podcast sent you and last, but certainly not least, are our good friends at Sci-Fi Horror Fest going down August 25th and 26th in Vernon, New York at the Vernon Downs Casino. I know it's a far ways off, but there is a holiday sale going on as we speak over at SciFiHorrorFest.com for weekend passes and day passes to the event. Already announced, Felissa Rose, the next celebrity announcement will be on Christmas Eve, so you're going to want to keep uh, your eye on the internet and their Facebook page, and most importantly, you'll get all that information at their website, SciFiHorrorFest.com. And if you forget any of that information or anything I said, it's easy enough. Just visit 3FNPodcast.com. 
Time. Morning track. That's right. I did make it to the warning track this week. Good stuff. I like it. Good stuff. I'm always a fan of when we make it to the warning track (laughs) because that means I did my job right and I got all the information out to the people. I like it. And sometimes some people would be like, well, that's too much. You could just say 3FNpodcast.com. I could, but then it wouldn't be as fun. No. (laughs) And we wouldn't get to hear Mario. Mario. Well, Ronald. Yes. I think it's time to give the people what they want. And what they really want and what they came for, of course, is... Welcome to... 3FNs. Movie Club. Refreshments are available in the lobby. And please, keep our theater clean by disposing of trash in specified containers. And remember, good certificates are available for any special occasion. Enjoy the show. That's right, welcome to the 3FN Movie Club Review! And as I've already said a couple times, this week we are reviewing the holiday classic, Die Hard. And if uh, you're listening to this channel, you know how to find the show, obviously, and we appreciate that. If you're new, we also appreciate that you're stopping in to give us a listen. But we do three shows on this channel now. We decided more content is always better. And, and because we love movies and we love to review movies, it gives us an opportunity to review everything. Of course, so twice a month, every week, you get the flagship 3FN podcast. We'll start there. This nice. show, you're listening to now. But then twice a month, you get the 3FN horror show, where we review horror movies, older ones. And then now 3FN Rewind, where we get to you know review older films. Because obviously, we do it occasionally, but this is mostly new on this channel. So, or this podcast, sorry. Same channel for everything. Same channel. So... That brings me to, if you listen to the first 3FN Rewind, which we did Lethal Weapon. Yes, we did. I gave everybody my opinion on Hollywood, uh, on holiday-adjacent films. <laughs> so to stop the argument about people saying, is it a Christmas film? Is it not a Christmas film? And I don't care what side people fall on. I'd like to believe it is a Christmas film. I have just said now that they're all holiday-adjacent because Lethal Weapon takes place during Christmas. There is some Christmas theming in the movie, but it's a holiday-adjacent film because technically the Christmas miracle does not help win the day and I think that somehow somewhere in a Christmas movie there needs to be something where the holiday itself solves the day yeah because if you think about it in movies like you know the Santa Claus or you know even when we talked about Jingle All the Way the holiday spirit somehow affects the movie and how Violent Night comes out Violent Night as well there was definitely a Hallmark movie in (laughs) under the layers of violence and comedy which was amazing that's why it's become my favorite Christmas movie yep so now Let's fast forward to Die Hard. Die Hard, of course, is the classic argument. Is it a Christmas film or is it not? In my opinion, I've always said it's a Christmas film. It does take place at a Christmas party in the Christmas season with Christmas decorations. Yes, I know it's California, so some of us that live in the Northeast are like, well, there's no snow. But trust me, we would all trade the fucking snow away. Yes. I mean, I guess there's some people like my wife who likes a white Christmas. My sister. Yeah, I'm just, but I don't get people who want snow in the Northeast because we get enough of that shit. No snow. In my opinion. And I know, Ron, well, that's how you kind of make your money. So. Yeah, well, you know. So we, we got to leave that alone. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean I like it. However you feel about it, I just feel like if you say holiday adjacent, that pleases everybody who either is a hater or not. And I think we need to start, stop hating on people's opinions so much. You know, you can disagree, but still have a good time listening. If you listen to us and you don't agree with us, but if you had a good time, interact with us, let us know. It's always a fun time. But 
I think that that just stops arguments. And we went into it a little more in depth on the first episode of 3FN Rewind. If you look through the list here on the podcast channel, you will see Lethal Weapon 3FN Rewind. So check that out. And uh, new ones coming at you later this week, which we'll talk about at the end. So enough of that. We've set up. We're not going to go back to argue whether it's a Christmas movie or not. <laughs> we both believe it is. Yeah. It's, holly, it's, it's holiday adjacent for those of you who want to argue about it because we're not going to argue. Here it is. Die Hard. We're going to talk about it. Are you ready to jump into the stats for Die Hard? Yes. Ronald. Yes, I am. Die Hard was released on July 15th, 1988. Another reason the, the Christmas people say it's not a Christmas movie is because it came out in the summer blockbuster season. <laughs> uh, but this movie is a summer blockbuster movie. So come on. It's got a runtime of 132 minutes. And it was directed by John McTiernan uh, before he directed... Uh, this movie, he directed pr the original Predator film. Oh, that's right. Uh, after this, he uh, he would go on to do The Hunt for Red October, Medicine Man, Last Action Hero, Die Hard with a Vengeance, The Thomas Crown Affair, and lastly, Basic. Okay. Uh, great career right there. That's, that's a hell of a career. Hell of a career. Uh, the screenplay for this movie, first of all, it was based on the novel Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. But then the screenplay itself was written by two gentlemen. First up, Jeb Stewart. Uh, this was his first movie. That he ever wrote a screenplay for. Huh, nice. First movie. He would go on after this to do Leviathan, Another 48 Hours, The Fugitive, Just Cause, Vikings, Valhalla, the TV series is his most recent credit. Okay. Next, we have Stephen, De, uh, Stephen E. DeSouza. I want to give him the correct name. Uh, he started in the 70s writing for TV. Before this, his uh, one of his first movies he did, a big movie he did a screenplay for, was 48 Hours, which is weird that his writing partner would go on to write another 48 Hours. Yeah. Uh, he also did Commando, <laughs> Jumping Jack Flash, in the Running Man, how eighties is this motherfucker? It's all eighties, and that's and all, and they're great movies. Like, like Jumpy Jack Flash is very un underrated. I will say this: they're all great for their time. Yeah. Uh, as we go back, it, critically, maybe not so much, but they're entertaining, especially to us older folk. Uh, after this movie, he did Die Hard Two, Hudson Hawk, The Flintstones, Beverly Hills Cop Three, Street Fighter. I know Ooh. you're excited for that. Judge Dredd, and yes, the version with Stallone, <laughs> and uh, Blast. Nice. Uh, that was his most recent credit. Next, we have the cinematographer for this film, and the cinematographer is Jan Dabant. Uh, before this, he started in the 60s, by the way. His first movie that he was the director of photography for, Paranoia in 1967. Oh, okay. Uh, he would also be the DP for Cujo, <laughs> All the Right Moves, a personal favorite of mine that uh, we will eventually get to on 3FN Rewind, Ruthless People. Oh, it's been so long. Judge Reinhold, Bat yeah. Midler, and it's been so uh, long. Uh, our good, our good, dearest, dearest of friends. And I can't understate this the most. One of the greatest of all time, Danny DeVito. Yep. And if you don't agree with that, that's a, that's your it's opinion. Been, but your opinion is wrong. It's been a long time since I've seen that one. <laughs> uh, the movie, I, I always love that movie. So uh, this one I threw in there. It was right before this movie. Die Hard, that is. <laughs> and, of course, it was Leonard Part 6. <laughs> The Cosby effect. What are you going to say? Uh, he would go on to work with uh, John McTiernan again on The Hunt for Red October. He would also work with him again on Basic. But he also in between did Flatliners, Instinct, and Lethal Weapon 3. Nice. Amongst other things. He's still uh, doing a few uh, TV and made for movies. And of course, all of these people, a lot of them went into producing and directing as well of their own stuff. But we only go what they did in that realm here. Right. Are you ready to talk actors? Yes. This movie, of course, stars Bruce Willis what? as John McClane, 
Before this, he was most known for a little TV show called Moonlighting. As a matter of fact, when he got the role in Die Hard, one of the biggest drawbacks for him was that they were like, he's a TV guy. Yes. He's not a movie star. And uh, I guess this was his good coming out party because obviously Bruce Willis, we know now, is a legendary. Uh, there's also another fun little note that we'll talk about in a minute after we get past the casting that I think you guys will enjoy about Bruce Willis and our movie that we did on the first 3FN Rewind, Lethal Weapon. Uh, but after this, he did Die Hard 2, of course, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die Hard, and A Good Day to Die Hard. That's right, every one of the movies. <laughs> By the way, Die Hard 2 is Die Harder, uh, but they still call it Die Hard 2. Everything else after that got a full name. So he did all of the Die Hard films, which, let's be honest, he should have. He was also in The Last Boy Scout, Death Becomes Her, Pulp Fiction, 12 Monkeys, The Fifth Element, The Jackal, Armageddon, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Tears of the Sun, Cop Out, Red, Looper, Glass... And now a ton of movies that he has given his likeness rights to. They're actually CGing him in movies. Yeah. He's one of the first people to do that. Uh, like I said, that's not all of his credits because there's a ton more, but that's a ton of them. I just wanted to list off a bunch because it's always fun, right? Yeah. Uh, the other stars of this movie, Alan Rickman is up next. Hans Gruber is who he plays. Of course, after this, uh, a lot of what he did before was over in Europe. And then he came over here to say, say a lot of uh, a lot of Shakespearean uh, plays and such. Yes. But afterwards, he would do Quigley Down Under, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Dogma, which is a personal favorite of ours, Galaxy Quest. And then, of course, he was in the Harry Potter films as Professor Snape. Uh, unfortunately, we did lose Alan Rickman on January 14th of 2016 at the age of 69. So he is definitely the late, great Alan Rickman. I think Alan Rickman's a badass and one oh, of my dude. favorite actors of he, all time. He's a hell of an actor. And Galaxy he's great Quest. In this is so uh, like underrated. Yeah, and he's great in this movie. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out. Bonnie Badia played Holly Gennaro McLean. Uh, before this, she was in the Salem's Lot miniseries. That's right. And then after she would come back in Die Hard 2, that is the only sequel she would be appearing. Uh, she was in Fat Man and Little Boy, you know, the first Oppenheimer film, now that oh, we're getting yeah. the new one. I forgot about that. Yep. Uh, Needful Things, and most recently, The Noel Diary. Oh, okay. Here's uh, one of our favorites. And another star of this movie, Reginald Vell Johnson, Sergeant Al Powell. Before this, you would see him in Wolfen in 1981. You would see him in Ghostbusters, mm -hmm. Crocodile Dundee. But after this, he would be in Die Hard 2, Turner and Hooch, Posse. And of course, he reprised, most recently, he reprised his role from Turner and Hooch in the TV show that lasted about six episodes before it got canceled. Uh, yeah. But you notice I left out where we really love him from. And, of course, we all love and remember him as one of the greatest TV fathers in the history of television. He was Carl on Family Matters. Yes, he was. And I love me oh, some dude. Reginald Vell Johnson. He's so. so good. And he was great in this movie, by oh, the dude, way. He was great. Great hey, in this movie. You first see him picking up a bunch of snacks at the gas station. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, that wins me. <laughs> and he's, he's, when we get to the review, there's a lot of things that they wasted time on. That's one of them that I was happy with. Like, That's for my wife. She's pregnant. <laughs> the last one of the stars of this film that we are going to talk about, and it's kind of funny because we'll be talking about this man again this upcoming Friday when for the second episode of 3FN Rewind we are doing Trading Places uh, and that is Paul Gleason who plays Dwayne T. Robinson uh, before he was in this movie he was in Panic in Year Zero in 1962 that's how far he goes back wow. he was in Arthur okay. Trading Places which I just said The Breakfast Club after this, he would be in Loaded Weapon 1, Revenge of the Nerds 4, Nerds in Love, Money Talks, Not Another Teen Movie, where he reprised his Breakfast Club role as the principal. That's right. Pretty much. Van Wilder, where he wasn't the same person, but, but he, he reprised was. that role, pretty he much. Was, he was a professor. And then his last movie came out pos posthumously 
and uh, the, the called the passing in 2011 because unfortunately we lost Paul Gleason on May 27th of 2006 at the age of 67. Amazing. And he yeah. was the quintessential fucking principal. Yeah. And this, the, he's a detective. But yeah, same thing though. But yeah, it's the quintessential, quintessential in every fucking side of the world. Yeah. Principal. Do you think it. principal in a, in a TV? He, Paul yeah. Gleason. You know, whoever was terrorizing kids at the time. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, I do want to mention some other, because we always go in. We don't go as deep of a dive, but we always go in to get some art. And there's one in here that I know we love. And that is William a. Thurton who in this movie plays Thornburg, the shady-ass newscaster. Oh, that's right. And you probably remember him most because he was Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. Yes, he was. He has no dick. He has no dick. <laughs> I assure you, this man has no penis. <laughs> uh, so that is pretty, pretty, pretty fucking awesome. And there's just a ton of great people who would go on to do other things. Clarence Gilliard Jr. plays Theo in this movie. He'd go on to be in Walker, Texas Ranger. Yep. Uh, how much greater? You have to be pretty fucking good. To be the sidekick <laughs> of one of the baddest men of all time. Chuck Norris. Uh, and of course, big fun times. Once again, we talked about doing Lethal Weapon on 3FN Rewind. Al Leong, who is the terrorist that does the torture in that movie, he's also one of the terrorists in this movie as Yuli. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he makes his rounds. And then we got to talk about the two uh, FBI agents who are listed as Big Johnson and Little Johnson. Big Johnson played by uh, Robert Davey. You might not recognize him right away, but you know him as one of the Fertellis from the That's Goonies. Right. That's right. And then, of course, uh, Grandal Bush played Little Johnson, and he's another guy that you'll see in a ton of stuff, but uh, remember when we were talking about Street Fighter? He plays Belrog. Yes, he does. <laughs> but uh, that is kind of the cast. Many more in the cast. Fucking awesome stuff. Ron, it is now time that we get to the money situation. This movie had a budget of $28 million, part of the reason why they were unsure of a TV guy being a movie star. How much do you think it made in the box office? Just the box office. $120 million. $120 million. Yeah. No, $83.1 million. No, no. After, after other releases, it would get over to $140 million, but $83.1 on its original. Pretty good. Pretty I mean, good. I got, got his money back, so. So the funny story I want to talk before we get in the review is how this ties into Lethal Weapon yet again is originally Bruce Willis was up for and was the director's pick to play Martin Riggs in Lethal Weapon. Oh, that's right. And the original pick to play John McClane was Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Yeah. And somehow they swapped. And <laughs> now seeing both of these movies, and I mean, I've watched them for you know, multiple times. Let's be yeah. honest. They were classics when I was a kid. I grew up in that era where these are the kind of fucking awesome movies that we watched. And after watching both of them, I can't picture them with the other one starring. Yeah, in the movie. no, I couldn't either. Because I Bruce Willis does a good. He's a good actor. Don't get me wrong. I love his roles, but I don't think he does crazy like Mel Gibson. No, he doesn't. And I can't see Mel Gibson doing this role in that kind of innocent tongue in cheek way. Yeah. Huh. A lot of John McClane is an innocent tongue in cheek guy. He's a cop. He's a common man. And he can do extraordinary things, but he reacts to it, although being a hero, but he reacts to it as the average man. Yeah. And I think Mel Gibson is just a little over the top for that. It's kind of like Nick Cage is a little over the top. Mel Gibson's yeah. a little over the top. So I just can't see them doing the different movies. But, hey, I think they would have been good movies either way. Well, are you ready to dive into the review, yes. Ronald? Let's go. Let's dive in. As you know, we do not do scene by scene. We are going to jump around a lot. So if, if, if we skip over something or come back to it, we're sorry. We just don't do scene by scene. I will say this. 
opening up. Remember I mentioned briefly there was a lot of shit you could have cut from this movie? Yes. There was a lot of shit in the first 30 to 45 minutes of this movie that just didn't need to exist. <laughs> and I forgot, because it had been a while, probably a little over a decade since I'd watched Die Hard before watching it the other night for this. I forgot how this movie opened. <laughs> and the most useless scene, other than the fact that it is literally the plot device for part of the plot. <laughs> because it opens on a plane where Bruce Willis doesn't like flying and he's seated next to uh, an, uh, obviously another passenger. And the guy tells him that when you, if, if you want to have a good flight, when you get done with the flight, go home, take off your shoes and socks, walk on a carpet and then ball your feet into fists. Yep. Don't judge me. I didn't come up with it, but it works. Don't know why. Yep. And you realize that at the time you're like, why the fuck does this movie open this way? But later on, <laughs> when he's barefoot through most of this movie, you're because he takes his shoes and socks off to do exactly what the guy says, and then the terrorists come. Yep. Or the robbers. Technically <laughs> they're not terrorists, but they 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 act as terrorists, but they're actually robbers. Uh yeah, yeah. That is the way to get around. Hey, that's why his shoes and socks were off for this movie. Yep. And I mean, it start, like he says, it opens up and it, you don't even see Bruce Willis at first. You see the guys he's sitting next to because it pans through the window. Mm -hmm. So it's like you, you don't even get Bruce Willis first. You get this random actor talking about balling his feet on a carpet. And this yeah. is how this movie starts. Yeah. <laughs> and then from there, literally, we have he gets picked up at the airport by a limo, draw, driven to Nakatomi Plaza. Once he gets there, he meets with his estranged wife. They are still married. Yes. You, you call them separated, I guess. I yeah, don't know if they were legally separated, but they're separated. She's now going, uh, when he types into the little uh, thing for McLean, she's not listed. But then when she puts in her maiden name of Gennaro, it's it's there. So that gets him a little bit. Yeah, and he yeah. goes up. And it's a nice reunion. You could tell that there's love there, but there's also some fracture. But it's all, like, pointless. It, it, it is... To the point where until you find out why she's using her maiden name and he, you get the story, you get, you do get told why he's in New York and she's out in LA. So I, I, I get it. Yeah, but you could have done that quicker and you didn't need to waste like the first, like yes. literally the first 30, 45 minutes, even when the, even when the robbers slash terrorists show up, there was parts of this movie where I found myself just like. Oh, I forgot that I could just have this on in the background and still get all of it. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it was a little slow at that point, but it, I understand. I get it. Once again, once it picks up, no judgments, it picks up. Uh, but there is the first 30, 45 minutes of this movie. You could probably be doing stuff around the house and then just peeking in. And you kind of know when should business picks up. Yeah. It's really when we get Hans Gruber in the office, finally. Yeah. Like, even them taking over Nakatomi Plaza is not even that interesting. Yeah. It's pretty much when he gets to the office. Uh, once again, we got the terrorists led by Hans Gruber. Alan Rickman does a phenomenal role. Oh, I think so he's a good. great bad guy. He's I think so he's good. one of the best bad guys in a movie ever. He's I would so say that. Good, like everything he touches is masterful. I, skipping ahead, man, his American accent in this movie. Right on. Holy shit! <laughs> Holy shit! As a as a person, he's 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 from the UK. Yeah. He's he's got a thick British accent. Playing a German though, and he did, did a good German accent as well. Yeah. But his U.S. accent was. Spot on. I'm, I'm good with it. Like, he's so good. It was so good. So, basically, after they take over, you know, John McClane, they don't know he's there. They don't even know. Nobody knows who he is because he's a New York police detective. It's not like he's special forces. He's not, yeah. you know, it's not like, you know, Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon where, where he was, was part of a special forces yeah. team. No, 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 no. He's just a literally a New York cop. Yep. And he's doing New York cop shit for, <laughs> in, for, in, in the in beginning. LA. In, in, but in the beginning, it's all like cop shit, like smart shit, like break out the window, try to talk to, you know, the cop on the ground when yep. the cop gets there. Yep. And then eventually it becomes like commando, 
which they never get into like where he learned all that. But it's okay, you know. Maybe living in New York City, it's all you need, possibly, especially then, right. back then you know in what? the eighties. You know what? I, I can rock with that. I can rock with that. <laughs> but so now it becomes a cat and mouse game because now he starts picking off terrorists and uh, doing it in very smart ways. I mean, at one point, Juncture, I love how they don't insult the the audience. He writes on his arm when he because le- as he's spying on them, he learns their names. Yes, or most of their names, not everybody's, but he writes yeah, yeah. on their his arm when he hears a name yep. or how many people he sees with a sharpie. Yeah, I was like, that's fucking great. Like the, most most of the time, they show a superhero who remembers everything. Not John McClane. He writes it down, but it's smart. Because once he gets his hands on a walkie-talkie, that's when this movie goes from fucking plan A to plan fucking B drive. Because then we get the famous shit-talking. Yep. Because he he's got he's got that New York shit talk down. I love him in this movie. Yeah, it's it's solid all the way around with that. Like like for a movie that uh, let's say twenty-five to thirty percent takeover on a on a walkie-talkie. Oh yeah. I mean, I understand you know it's on set and all that stuff, but still like. There's a lot of talk on a walkie-talkie. Like a lot of movies avoid that. This one they don't. No, and it, and it ends up being good because you yeah. get drawn into it. Of course, the first cop at the scene is our our good friend Reginald Vell Johnson <laughs> as uh, Sergeant Al Powell, and uh, he at first he goes in because there was a you know call. Yep. And the best part about it is he he walkie-talkies it into a secure police line that's only used for emergencies. And they were like, "Well, how do you know this?" He's like, "Cause I'm a cop. Like you need to get here." Yeah. Well, you know this is against the law to be on this. Okay, fine. Come and arrest me then. Yep. <laughs> like go, like go. just come here. Send police here. Yeah. yeah. Go, no matter and, what you do, come get me. I come, don't care. Come just get come me here. Yeah. Come come get me. Like, that, that was like, man, how, why would a cop line be like, oh, are you fucking with us? It's a plot armor. Plot I get it. I get it as plot armor, but still, yeah. it's kind of crazy. It's, so that's when we get to meet Al Powell. Sarge, Sergeant Powell goes ahead and he's he's getting his Twinkie fix on. And he says it's for his wife, which as a fat man, and I know Ron will attest to this because I know we've both done it. You will lie sometimes when you order a lot of food at a drive-thru and be like, this, this is, you know, I, I, I get my wife's and my wife or I've done this. I, I, I've done this verbatim. I've been at a drive through and I've ordered something and then I ordered extra and I'm like, oh, I got to look at this text message from my wife and I order extra. I've, I've done the make sure those running rings are hot and fresh or the pregnant one at home is going to kill me. <laughs> uh, so good. So I, I understand that logic. And, uh, of course, so he responds to the call at Nakatomi Plaza. He gets there. It doesn't look like anything's happened. Of course, one of the robbers slash terrorists is sitting at the desk. So he walks in. The guy lets him in. Hey, officer. Oh, we got a call. Eh, Well, nothing's going on here. And he's watching the football game. And then Sarge walks down a little bit. And he's like, you know what? Fuck this. There's nothing happening here. Yeah. So he walks out. And as he's coming out, John McClane had just dispatched of another robber slash terrorist yep and decides to use his body and the oh, con air would copy this from an airplane later on <laughs> but he decides to throw that body out the window right on a sarge's car <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's a problem and then there's gunfire gunfire at him and uh, he drives the car right off the side of a debate but it's okay he's okay yeah it was okay. That, after after the fire alarm too he did try he did try to pull a fire alarm but they can't the terrorists canceled that or the robbers canceled that said it was just an accident blah 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 so, you know, it, he had to do what he had to do to get in touch. He had to do. He got it. He made it happen. So now we get the cops involved, and they're coming, and they're doing all the wrong things. <laughs> because Paul Gleason, I don't know, he's 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 out to prove that he's something big, and he's not. Well, that's the other thing. Like, the, the, that's one scene that could have been cut was where he was sitting in the bar or whatever and got the call or wherever mm-hmm. he was sitting or I think it was a bar. 
And, it was either a bar or a club, but there was drinks there. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And then you're like, oh, I gotta go. Like I gotta, I like, like there's no history on this guy, so who cares? And by by club, I mean like a VFW or an American yeah, Legion yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I agree. That was another like. There's a bunch of scenes like that throughout this movie, mind you. This movie at a robust 132 minutes, you could have probably cut 30 minutes off of this movie, kept it around 100 minutes, yeah. and it becomes a better film, in my opinion. I agree. But let's go back. One of my favorite scenes of this movie is when they go gun ho to try to get into the building and they shoot a fucking rocket launcher <laughs> yeah. at, a, at, at an armored at an armored car. Like yeah. a fucking rocket launcher in this movie. Like it's 80s. <laughs> like cuz like this this group, this robbing group, you know, whatever they are, all of a sudden has like every answer to anything if they did get you know, call you know, please show up. Oh yeah, but, they but were yeah, prepared. They were prepared for any situation there was, except for John McClane. Except for John McClane, <laughs> uh, I just thought that that was hilarious with the fucking rocket launcher. Oh, yeah, like, it was. Out of nowhere, there's a lo- rocket launcher. I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, but rocket launcher. And this whole time, basically, you, you, we find out as the audience that Hans Gruber is like, I don't give a fuck. This is what I wanted. I knew that the cops. This is a little quicker, but. It's, I planned for the cops to come yeah. because I'm going to use this as the distraction because we're really here robbing the vault in the basement. Hey, sounds like a other Christmas movie. Exactly. he's <laughs> They're robbing the vault in the basement. They are there to collect $640 million. And in today's standards, I'm like, was it really worth all that that problem, $640 million? Yeah, no. I mean, no. I guess in 1988, $644 million, or $640 million, sorry, was a lot more money. Well, it was, but for the group that they had... <laughs> yeah that's what the cut's got to be real small yeah like, i mean yeah. as people died you get a bigger cut though so i mean i guess you just want john mcclain to keep picking motherfuckers off yeah but they wasn't supposed to be there so you had a group of 15 uh originally it was 12 or 15 so, yeah, yeah. Somewhere, so, somewhere in between there so it's like okay like okay you don't even you get like a half a million like okay sure whatever yeah that's the weird part <laughs> I, I will agree with you uh we didn't mention him earlier but hart bachner plays the character of ellis in this and ellis is like your classic 1980s yuppie yuppie hacker yeah he's yeah (laughs) well no no he's not the hacker the hacker is is played by that's right uh clarence gilliard that's That's theo ellis is the one that works with mclean's wife holly that's right i'm sorry i forgot and then during the during this time he has been like kind of sitting there he knows he met john mclean he's hearing holly be like oh you know he's it must be the, the disappointment on their faces must be because my my husband yeah because he's the only person who caused that much disappointment and frustration on someone's face that was her legit line in the yeah. movie yeah and at one point in this movie he decides fuck this i've had enough now when holly first meets hans gruber she tells him her maiden name so she yeah. says she's holly Gennaro. she's and uh he says thank you because uh, she's representing you know since you killed my boss i guess i'm the representative of all the people they need bathroom breaks and da 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 and he goes okay thank you mrs Gennaro. And she's like ms Gennaro. yeah so leading you to believe oh she's not married yeah and smart because she's being smart so ellis goes in and tries to favor deals now giving ellis credit he doesn't expose that holly is married to john mcclain he instead he says that him and John, John's there because he's his buddy. Yeah. So let me let me talk to him. I'll get him down. And you know he, he gets on the walkie-talkie with John. He's like, "Hey, buddy, come down." You know, I told him we were old friends, and he's like, "You don't understand what you're doing. They're going to kill you." Yeah. Like you don't understand. 
This is they're gonna and as this time Hans is fucking with his gun and stuff and he's like oh Hans hey baby calm it down <laughs> he does some blow before he goes in too <laughs> and uh, yeah he gets the the bullet through his head now my favorite part of this though is that shortly thereafter they go back into the office and the camera does a sweep around and they you can see the bullet hole in the back of his head it distorted I thought that was like yeah. great yeah great fucking Solid. great special effects in this movie oh, all yeah. practical too yes so that's going to bring us. To you know, McLean now feels bad. Outside, you have uh, Captain uh, Dwayne sitting there bitching about he killed that. He's 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 just as responsible for that man's death, which he wasn't. And at, at the same time, Al's trying to defend him, and it gets to a point where he's like, "Well, I got to make the sacrifice. You know, I got to fucking go in there, tell tell my wife I love her. You know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, because he's got to make a move, and he knows he's got to make a move. Yeah. Now, mind you, they still don't understand why they want the detonators. But I, we got to go back a second. <laughs> Because he has detonators. Yes. When he kills one of the terrorists, he keeps upping up his ammo, just like he would do in a video game. He grabs yeah. ammo. Yeah. He grabs a new machine gun. As a matter of fact, he writes on one of the, t- the terrorists. Uh, uh, I got a, I have, th- thanks. I have a machine gun now. Ho, yeah. ho, ho. Yep. It's, it's fucking great. <laughs> so like, he's like, it's like a video game almost in, yeah. real, in, in a movie. I mean, it's solid though. Cause it is something you would do if you, cause you don't have anything. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, so at one point he just takes a bag that has some C4 and some detonators and it doesn't understand why. And that's really what Hans wants back. Yeah. Is the fucking detonators. So as we're going through, this is where we get the classic scene around this time of McLean meeting Hans Gruber for the first time, who he's been talking to on the walkie talkie. Only Hans says that he is a somebody who works in the building. Yeah, and he and he actually used the name on the on the, on uh, the board. He, on the board. So so I do believe it was Bill Doyle. Something like that, yeah. And it's there was a W Doyle on the board. Because yep. it just so happens there was like a listing of offices yeah. and McLean could see that. So he sees a W Doyle on the board and he says his that's his his name is Bill, so Bill William, same difference. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay. So then he goes, You know how to use a gun, Bill? Yep. He goes, Oh, I went on one of those like uh Excur- ones where the paint excursions where you shoot guns, but it's the ones with the paint in it. Yeah. So McLean gives him a gun. It's the same thing. Same thing. Just point, shoot. Just it's it's not so no great. So great. So as soon as McLean turns around, of course, Hans starts talking in his normal voice and cocks the gun and says, Ah, that was you know, a mistake. He's you know, he's the cat that got the canary. Yeah. And McLean's just like, Oh, you know, whatever, you know, that was a good voice you did there, Hans. And he goes on and next thing you know, Hans fires the gun. But no bullets come. No he bullets. goes there's no bullets in the gun. Why would I give you bullets, Hans? <laughs> like, that makes no sense. And it's just like this weird, like, shit talk from fucking Bruce Willis. In, in like, three feet away. Like He's like, I, I, why would I give you bullets, stupid? Yeah. Like, like are you like, stupid? Yeah, you just you just proved to me that you're not who you say you are, and thank you. And now I know who you are. <laughs> so that leads to a shootout, which leads to the glass scene where his bare feet walk through glass. Yeah. That is terrible. Oh, that's horrible. That is, that is one of the most cringiest scenes. And at that point in this movie... I have to go, Ron. You know, he's killed enough terrorists. Why didn't he steal one of their shoes? He did. He goes, the one guy, he takes the shoes off and he's like, oh, you know, out of all the terrorists, they go, they got to get shoes that are too small. Right. But he, he kills multiple terrorists and yeah. he's, he's raiding their bodies. Not all of them have the same size shoes. Why was it only one terrorist? He, took, he tried. They were too small. Just one time. I'm going to throw this out which Which is a bunch of shit because that guy was bigger than Bruce Willis, so there would have been bigger shoes. They should have been too big. Yeah, but, you know. Uh, I just That was always one of the things that drives me nuts in this movie. Like, why didn't you steal shoes? I'm with you. Because even if they're too big, it doesn't matter. It's it's, it's some on your feet. Even if they're too small, you know, just 
you you got you got uh, equipment because they're still working on the building, so you can find something to cut open the toes. Oh yeah, there's a ton like, of things you could do. Yeah, like tons of things. But anyways, that's how we end up with the cut up feet, and that's you know that's terrifying in its own. Just for if anybody who's ever stepped on even a Lego understands oh, yeah. how fucking shitty it must feel to slice your feet open on the bottom. Shoot the glass. He's barefooted. Yeah. I, by the way, smart move by Hans Gruber. Oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm I like 100%. that. I like that part. So when all this is happening, after he does that and he's talking to Al and he says about, you know, hey, tell my wife I love her, blah, 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 because he thinks he's on a suicide mission. He then discovers why Hans Gruber was on the upper floors because he was checking the explosives that are hooked to the fucking roof. Yep. So now he's like, wait a minute. They're going to blow the fucking roof. Yep. They have no intention so, so he, doesn't know, he doesn't know that there's the money in the vault, but he does know that there's no intention of taking the helicopter. Nope. But that, that's what they want. That's what they're ta- asking the cops for. And this is in for us at home. We've already kind of, we know what's going on and we're now seeing, oh, Hans has got this planned out. Yeah. That's why he didn't mind. And then when the FBI comes, he's even happier. There was part of me in this movie that went back to it. Like, I know I've seen it and I know what happens, but there's part of me is like always thought that the FBI agents were working with Hans. Because when they come in, they do the dumbest shit possible. I, I, I could see where you could see that. Like, that might have been something that was originally idea. But once you have 14 fucking people on your list, you, you know, you're not going to be able to, get, you know, pay out with only $6 million. No, I know. I'm but gonna... it's just really weird how they act. I agree. Very weird. Moving right along in this movie and getting to the next part is this is the action scene. We're in the third act where, you know, there's been tremendous action during this movie. I love the gunfights. I love the hand to hand combat. It's got some of the best action in an 80s movie. Yeah, in it my does. It's solid. And it's, it's as realistic movie magic out of most of those 80s movies. So now Holly is going to be put in danger because Thornburg finds out through his assets at the news channel where the uh, where the McLean children are. Yes. And uh, the mother is in the building. The children are there. So he goes and he threatens the housekeeper with calling immigration on her. Yep. <laughs> By the way, this movie, some of the dialogue yeah. would not fly now. <laughs> would not fly now. So uh, he threatens it, and he gets the kids on the TV. And, of course, Hans has been watching the news coverage because he's a vain fucker. Yes. So he sees, and then he looks because he notices a picture on the thing of Holly. And he turns around. There's a picture facing down. He picks it up, and it's of Holly with John and the kids. Yep. So he calls her into the room and says, I know who you are. And then puts a gun to her and tells everybody to go to the roof except for her. You're coming with me. Yep. So everybody goes to the roof to go to the helicopters that the FBI are now sending. Now, we've learned already, though, that these helicopters aren't to pick up people. No, they're going to go up there and shoot the terrorists up. And if they lose uh, 20% of the casualty, of civilian casualty, they're all right with that. Yeah, which is... Because remember, the guy's like, oh, I think 15 to 20. He was like, I'm aiming for 20. <laughs> he even goes for, I'm aiming for the higher amounts. Yeah, like which is retarded. So they they get up into the level there, and we end up with John McClane running to the roof as he sees people up there. He kills. He ends up finally getting into that battle with the the Thor looking motherfucker. Yep. That he's been fighting with all movie, and he, he hangs him from a thing, which we're gonna get to it for a minute. So I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> he ends up hung on a metal like chain around his neck from the ceiling after hitting a wall. Yeah. We'll we'll come back to it. Just remember that. <laughs> And he kills off our, our good friend, uh, Yuli, you know, because, you know, Al Leong has probably never lived through an entire movie ever because he's always <laughs> playing a, 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 a terrorist or some kind of mercenary and he never lives. 
So he gets killed off, and then he goes onto the roof, and he's telling people, go back inside. Go back inside. Get downstairs quick, quick, quick. Now the roof's going to blow. So he's shooting a gun in the air. He's doing all this. And at the same time, the FBI get there, and of course, they think he's a fucking terrorist. Yes. So they open fire. On John McClane, he's like same team. See, yeah, he's, they think he's a terrorist. You know, it's like they're just, and he's trying to tell them, and they're like, nope, 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 you're all terrorists. And then we get one of my. In the meantime, he learns that there's a vault back on the thirtieth floor where that's where everybody was originally. Right. So he's like, okay, and the roof's gonna blow, and we have these people here. Hmm. What should I do? Oh, I know. I'm going to do the most badass thing in any movie possibly ever. I'm going to tie the fucking end of a hose around my waist, and I'm going to jump off the side of this fucking building. Yep, because that's going to work. And so he does that, and the roof blows. It ends up taking out the fucking (laughs) helicopter. And then in the nick of time, he remembers he has a gun on him to shoot the window to crash through the window. Yes. But there's a minute where he doesn't realize that. He's trying to kick it with his feet. Uh, yeah, with his bloody, <laughs> now bandaged up by ripped up shirt feet. Yep. So he's back on it. He just so happens to be on the 30th floor, Ron. It just happens. Just it, so happens. I mean, that's what happens when you jump off uh, the roof of a building and you have a fire hose attached to you and it comes dislodged. It just happens to be the right length to get you to the 30th floor. Absolutely. Well, now we get into the final of this movie. He finds out that his machine gun is empty. There's no more ammo to loot. Nope. And he's only got two bullets in his handgun. Yep. So what does any man do? You improvise. You see some packing tape. Now, mind you, we don't get to see what he's going to do with this packing tape. That's going to come up. We just see the packing tape. (laughs) And then he walks in like the fucking, with the machine gun, like the man who says, he's like, Hans! (laughs) And he turns around. He's got one of his goons with him. And, you know, his, and McLean's wife is there. And he's like, you know, basically reassuring he told him he was going to kill him. That's what's going to happen. Yep. And he's like, not so fast, John. I got your wife here. You ain't going to do nothing stupid. So how about you put your gun down? So he does. Put your hands behind your head. And then he starts, and then McLean starts laughing. And then they're laughing at McLean. And then we find out where the packing tape is. Where is it, Ron? It's on his back. And what is it? What is it holding to his back? There's a little thing called a gun. A handgun. With two bullets in it. And he pulls that and he shoots the one guy straight in the head, the goon. And then he kind of shoots at Hans and kind of he side, kind of sideswipes him. Yes. Not quite hitting him, hit him in, but enough that Holly can get away. Yeah. And he falls back towards the window, but he still has Holly by the wrist. And as he falls towards the window, he falls out the window, grabs Holly, and he's bringing Holly with him. Yep. John saves the day, gets gets grabs her. And now Hans realizes, oh, I have a gun in my hand. And he's pulling up the gun to shoot John McClane. And at the same time, John's trying to grip his hands off of his wife's wrists. And right before he takes the shot, that final finger gives. And we get that classic scene of Hans Gruber going, oh, shit. And then falling 30 stories to his death. And the fun fact about this movie is when Alan Rickman shot the scene, they obviously were on a, a soundstage, and it was probably they, an eight-foot fall yeah. onto a pad. And as they shot it, they would tell him, you know, we're, we're going to drop you. Act, uh, you know. Yeah, well, well one act. of the times, that he wasn't giving the performance that the director wanted, so one of the times they told him not to tell him. Like, just yeah. just yeah, like, tell him tell him that he we're not ready yet, and then we're going to drop him without telling him. So that's a legit reaction. I yeah. heard Alan Rickman was pissed about it. He, he was. He was pissed about it because he, he, he 
didn't like that not being told but they you know you gotta do what you gotta do after he saw the movie i'm sure he was okay with it because yeah. he's like ah because that look of that oh shit look that was definitely was legit a legit look that was fucking great sometimes you gotta do tricky shit like that to get the scene you want yep and then of course we get the 1980s happy ending uh in the meantime there was the whole subplot with a limousine driver which... who somehow t-bones a truck a, a, a van and then yeah, then uh... he then he drives through the gate which i don't understand that yeah like you didn't know anything was going on he was Flirting with his girl, lying to his girl, but flirting with her on the phone while drinking the wine or the champagne in the back while waiting for all this to happen. When he's like, well, if it doesn't work out, you know, let me know. But yeah, he, you know, never got the call. <laughs> and it's like, uh. and of course, our hero, John McClane, gets to finally meet Al and they embrace yeah. like old buddies. And I mean, I'm going through that shit. I could see that, though. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But guess what? What? Our Thor looking motherfucker. He no, ain't dead. He's, he's been run. They thought he's a captured person. And he pulls back his thing. He's got a gun and he's going to kill McClane. And earlier in the movie, we heard the reason that Detective Powell or Sergeant Powell, sorry, I almost, I almost <laughs> gave him a demotion. The reason that Sergeant Powell is not a beat cop anymore on the street is because he once killed a kid with his gun. Yes. So he doesn't ever want to shoot it again. But when his friend, when his friend's life is on the line, Detective Al Powell jumps into action and he murders that Thor looking motherfucker. Yeah, he does. In one nice shot. It's it's fucking awesome. And then we get, you know, the Dwayne wants to to read the riot act to McLean, and then that happens, and then McLean's like, fuck off. He's gonna walk to the, the limousine. Thornburg tries to stop him to get an interview. Hallie <laughs> punches him right in the face, which she should have. Yes. And then they get into the fucked up limo, and the limo driver's happy to see everybody high-fiving and getting the fuck out of there. <laughs> happy 1980s ending. <laughs> and that's basically Die Hard in a nutshell. Pretty much. Ron, is there any other likes or dislikes from this movie you want to mention? I mean, it's just later on, like, he claimed, you know, he does say that he has a sister. Like, so, like, in the later movies, you thought you would just, you'd see something with the sister. <laughs> but nothing. Like, that was just, like, a little thing. Why have that whole whole information there? You know, he had the two kids, the son and the daughter. And, you know, obviously, they play factors later in the, in the series. So, it's just, like, what's the whole point of all this extra information? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was saying about you could cut a lot of this out because there's a lot of extra information you don't actually need to move the plot forward. Yeah. It was just a little heavy there. And let's be honest, the the all star of this movie is really just the action sequences. Like you're there to see the action. You're there to see McLean take down the the would be fucking robbers slash terrorist group. And, you know, everybody goes home happy. It's a quintessential 1980s action film. Yeah. And and like you said, it's a little long. Like, like they're just you could have taken out that a little bit of information and a little bit of a couple scenes and get this down to a nice, more comfortable range of movie time frame, especially for the eighties. And it would be that much better of a movie, but I agree with you. Like I said, I, that's my biggest grape is that my other grape is that not only being long, it leads to a lot of exposition dumps. Yeah. But there's a lot of conversations that there's no fucking reason to have. Yeah. Like there's a lot of back and forth between, uh, uh, Paul Gleason's Dwayne and uh, Sergeant Powell. Yeah. And like, I get the power struggle, but after it happens a few times, we've already established that. Yeah. You don't so need, it, you don't it really that. doesn't make it. And there's a couple of them that are funny. So I'm like, okay, I get that because we wanted the humor in the movie. But the one, you know, you have the ser- the first serious one and then you have a f- then a couple funny ones. But in between, there's other serious ones and there's no need for that. We've yeah. already established that they don't like each other. Yeah. We've already established that, uh, you know, Captain Dwayne's a dick or sorry, 
yeah. <laughs> co-chief or whatever yeah. he is, yeah. is a fucking dick, and Sergeant Powell is a good guy. Yeah. We get that already, you know? You don't, yeah, you don't need all that. But then, you know, we get the callback. Of course, we didn't even mention one of the greatest lines ever spent in a movie, yippee ki yay motherfucker. <laughs> was that actually written or was that ad-libbed? I think that was ad-libbed. I'm pretty sure that that was one of those lines yeah. that was ad-libbed by Bruce Willis. And on top of that, of course, that comes off of the line earlier because during that same conversation, he says about him being a John Wayne type. And he was like, no, I, I more more figure myself as Roy Rogers. And then that's when he's talking to Al, he calls himself Roy, because yeah, I more I, see myself as Roy Rogers. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I thought it was a yeah. kind of cool, fun tie into Westerns. Yeah, yeah I, get, I get you. I, I, like, I like that. So that part is always classic. There's a lot of good stuff in this movie, but there's a lot of dumps that you don't need. Like I said, you could probably knock off a good 30 minutes of this movie and have a better movie, in my yeah. opinion. Oh, I'm with it. In my opinion. Once again, everybody at home, you're allowed to have your opinions as well. And you're wrong. <laughs> I won't say that because I don't know where I really stand on it. We'll, we'll find out in a minute. But before we can give our scores, Ron, we got to find out what the scores from around the internet were. Ooh. But we're going to have a lot of fun because it's time. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> That's right. It's time to play the game. The game is simple. I'm going to give some internet scores from around it. Ron is going to guess. And if he gets close enough to the score, that is within five points, that on either side, above or below, that means he gets a point. If he gets three points, then he is your champion because he's playing by himself this week. (laughs) So, Ron, are you ready to dominate the game? Yes. Okay, so Ron, let's start off with IMDb. This is out of 10 using points. What did they give Die Hard? 7.1. 7.1. You were off by a little bit. 8.2. Wow, I didn't think too. Metacritic out of 100%. What did they give Die Hard? Metacritic's uh, uh, 75. You said 75, and you get a point. 72%. You're going through off. Next up, Rotten Tomatoes critic score out of 100%. What did they give it? Um, 68. 68%. You were way off. 94%. What? 94% on the critic score. They don't give that high. Rotten Tomatoes fan score, Ron, out of 100%. What did they give? Die Hard. 82. Ron, I'm so disappointed. What? I don't 94%. cheat. 94%. I don't think it's that high. I know you don't cheat, don't. but 94%. So you did lose the game for funsies. Google users, out of 100%, what did they give Die That's Hard? That's 97. 90%. <laughs> How is that? How is freaking that lower? 90%. Of course, if you're playing against somebody, when Diesel comes back, it'll be a lot more, it'll be a lot easier for you. Yeah, you can just play off what he says. Well, and of course, it's price is right rules at that point. Yeah. Well, that's going to bring us to it's time to give our scores since we've done the rest of the scores out there in the world. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, so first we're going to start off with the nerd score. The nerd score is a recommendation score. What goes into that recommendation is how entertaining the movie is, plus the critic score kind of gives it out to whether you should watch it. So it might have a lower critic score, but if it's a lot of fun, we'll recommend it so it gets a higher nerd score. That should make sense. The nerd scale is simple. It's five levels. It's going to fit into one of five. A one is no. That means the movie is terrible. You should never watch it. A two is you've been warned. That means the movie is not quite terrible, but it ain't good. So you've been warned to never watch it. A three is ah. 
it's good. That means it's an average to good film. You're not going to need to run out and see it. It's not an essential film to see, but if it's on television or you're looking for something in the background or you just end up seeing it, it's not like you're going to say you wasted your time. You're going to find a lot of good stuff there. A four is just take my money. This is essential films you should all go to see. If it's in the theater, you can feel free to pay for it. If it's like this, you can buy a collector's uh, DVD for it, add it to your rotation. You definitely need to see it in your lifetime. These are very good to great films and they're definitely a need to watch. And last but certainly not least is the rarefied air known as certified nerd. These are the legendary films. These are classics like Jaws, Jurassic Park, and so many others. These are the movies that are the the best of the best, if you will. These should be watched all the time. And if you've never seen these movies, you need to rectify that as quickly as possible. Ron, you're going to go first. What is your nerd score and why for Die Hard? I think I'm going to get hate for this one. The way those everybody else put a credit on this, like I think I'm really going to get hate for this, and it's not a bad That's score. Right. That's why I'm like I'm I'm like dumbfounded right now. Like I give it a four. Like it's just a little too long. There's a lot of stupid little things, like too much that we didn't need. It's solid, but I just think there's just enough. Like it's typical '80s in an '80s bubble. You know, if this was '88 and we were reviewing it, I think it would be pushed to a five. But, like, after watching it now, like, I'm just, like, it's just typical 80s combat. Yes, it spawned off a series, which surprisingly happened. But I really don't think it's to the point where it is that high. Like, I think there's just enough to take away to put it at a four for me. And I'm, like, and seeing how everybody else, like, really, and and I'm, like, dumbfounded with all those high scores on this. No. I'll say this. If you're going to get hate, I'm going to get hate, too, because I'm also giving it a four. Just okay. take my money. Like, I don't think this is a certified nerd movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of fans who love Die Hard, and I don't hate Die Hard. Obviously, I gave it a four. I think this is very entertaining. Yeah. I think this is an essential film. I think you should watch this movie. But, yes, A, it is a very 80s movie. We said the same thing about Lethal Weapon. Yeah. This is better than Lethal Weapon, because when oh, you get, oh, to, my criti- yeah, when you get to my critic score, you're going to see that I, I gave it above Lethal Weapon. If you yeah. remember, I gave Lethal Weapon a five and a half out, yeah. of, out of ten, just barely above average. You'll see yeah. what I give this in a second. But this is better than Lethal Weapon, but it's like Lethal Weapon. It is a pure 80s movie. It's kind of a harder watch nowadays, and then you get into the things that bog it down and such. Yeah. The action in this movie is what saves it. The critic score for me and the entertainment score for me all are wrapped into the great action sequences yeah, right. and the and the great acting by Bruce Willis and yes. and Alan Rickman. Yes. I think the two of them, and of course, also Reginald Val Johnson, yeah. but he's more of the sorting. Your two major, the, the good guy and the bad guy, your antagonist and protagonist being played by Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman, respectfully. They bring it to the game. Yeah. I love their chemistry. And I think that that's why Die Hard with a Vengeance, which we'll do at some point in Juncture, probably on 3FN Rewind, Die Hard with a Vengeance, bringing back the brother, spoiler alert, of Hans Gruber, that's why they went back to that well, well is because of how good that re- the, that relationship between the good guy and bad guy in this film are. Well, the only reason why they had to do that was because they killed him. Like, well, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, re- I really feel if you had him get, a, get away... Or end up in the hospital, and you don't know if he's dead or not, and him coming back for vengeance. That would have been better. Would have been better, but but, be, but because they couldn't. Because, because to be fair, to be fair, no, without reviewing it, because I you know yeah. we'll do it some other time. Jeremy Irons is pretty fucking badass oh, no, in that no. movie. I, I agree, he is very badass in that movie, and I agree, he having Alan Rickman in that movie with him would have pushed it above too, if they would have kept him with the brothers, because it's the same. It's the same plot. 
Pretty much. Just, I mean, there's a little added to it. A little added to it and a little different, but it's the same idea. Right. Agreed. Well, I also like Lethal Weapon. I'll say that even though this is the what sparked the franchise, this is not the best movie in the franchise. I'm not going to say what that is because no. we'll, be, we'll probably do this whole franchise on 3FN Rewind over time. So I don't want to get too far ahead yeah, no, and I also bog it. it down. So with my critic score for this movie, I'm giving it a 6.5 out of 10. Okay. I think that it's, it is better by a full point than Lethal Weapon. It is still a four, which Lethal Weapon only got a three. Yeah, yeah. But this got a four. This is a good. This is a. This is a good movie. Like at the end of the day, you're not going to be disappointed in seeing it. But there's a lot of bog down time in the beginning, and then throughout the film, there's different things like why the fuck is this here? But for the action, for the comedy beats, for the great acting between Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman in particular, not that anybody else did a horrible job, but those two steal the show as they yeah. should. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, this that that's what saves this movie is more bang for your buck. I agree. Like I said, in an eighties bubble, if you're just doing eighties movies and all that, like I really think it's probably one of the better ones and probably would be a five for us on our scale. But I don't think it is out now. I'll go with you. When I was younger in the early nineties when I first saw this movie. Uh, I will say this. I would have said then maybe certified nerd, but like a lot of things that we've watched that I've said that about training day comes to mind when we talk yeah. about this. And a lot of those things, what ends up happening is when you watch them now, and it's not even because of like, you know, different things or the language. Cause I look past all that anyways. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, man, this doesn't hold up as well, yeah. but there's some movies from that era that hold up very well. So it's, it's not like, it's just like, Oh, it's the eighties. That's why it doesn't hold up. Cause there's a lot of movies from that era. I still think predator holds up. As far as a movie, I'm not saying this better than the last one that came out. It might be. Who knows? We'll have to talk about that. I have to rewatch it. It's been a while, but I I, I, I agree agree with it. But I mean, it holds up as far as watching a lot of horror from the 80s. I mean, yeah, there's some stinkers in there. Yeah, there's some stinkers. But you got to remember the original Friday the 13th came out in 1980. Friday the 13th, two, three and four are all pretty good. Yeah. And then, you know, most of those movies came out in the 19th. The the real. I mean, obviously, you do have Jason Takes Manhattan. It came out in the 80s as well. So, you know, there is always downsides, but there's a lot of great movies that came. So the 80s is, doesn't mean like Goonies is a great movie. It doesn't mean that it's not going to, it doesn't hold its time as a decade. But if it's a pure 80s movie where your reasoning for things are cocaine a lot of times, then you got to get, there's going to be points marked down. Yeah. But this is still a great action flick. And if you've never seen it, you need to see it. Yeah. If you, it doesn't really spoil it here. I was talking about it. Now, that's going to do it for the 3FN Movie Club review this week. With that, the next time we'll be on the network, it will be for the second episode of 3FN Rewind. Check that out this upcoming Friday when it comes out. We are going to be reviewing the 1983 comedy classic Trading Places. See if that holds up to the test of time or not. Also, next week's 3FN Movie Club review on the show, the 3FN Podcast flagship show, this show, will be the brand new movie, Babylon. It'll be the last new movie we do of the year, 2022. We are going to see Babylon, and we're going to review it next week in the 3FN Movie Club review. And then the following Friday will be the last 3FN Horror Show of 2022, and that will be Terror Train, the classic from the 1980s as well. So we're going to ring in the new year with a New Year's horror movie. Nice. So we got everything planned out. Those are the next few shows coming to the 3FN Network of Podcasting. Of course, if you want to find out more about the 3FN Network of Podcasting, you want to send us some hate on our social medias or get a hold of us because you don't agree with us or you want to have a casual conversation or anything in between, you can find all the social media links and all the information about the 3FN Podcast at 3FNPodcast.com. It's your one-stop shop for everything in the 3FN Podcast. Ron, I believe you have some business to attend to. Three out of ten stars. Appearances can be very deceiving. Upon first glance, this seems like a boring and stupid film about a trope of short people who have to take a ring somewhere that's some consequences. But that is much too literal and 
Indeception. The movie is actually a metaphor for something else, which is also boring and stupid. Three out of ten stars. Lord of the Rings just sucks, people. Well, you got only one more Lord of the Rings review to do before the end of the year. And all of you Lord of the Ring fans, send your hate mail to Ryan. (laughs) Well... That's going to do it for this episode. The next to last episode of 2022. Once again, I would like to uh, extend a happy holidays to everybody who celebrates the holidays this upcoming weekend. Stay safe. Hopefully you have a good time with friends and family and whatever you got going on. We always want the best for you guys. Of course, we will be back next week at the same bat time, same bat channel with our 3FN movie club review of Babylon. Until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and most importantly, later nerds. Later. And of course, if you ever find yourself looking at a Thor motherfucker and you hung him by the neck and you didn't shoot him in the head before you go, treat that shit like a horror movie and double tap that bitch. Lord of the Rings just sucks people. (laughs) 